Welcome to another podcast from the Rotary and Community Service Radio Show, which is now in its 10th year. Our show is heard every Friday between 6 and 8pm on Community Radio Station 3WBC, 94.1 FM, which is also streamed live on the World Wide Web. Here is an interview conducted by Julie Mason, District 9800 Governor, with Ian Risley, who will become Rotary International President in 2017-18. Listeners and Rotarians, good evening. My name is Julie Mason. For about three more days, I'll be District Governor of Rotary District 9800. But today, I have to tell you, it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome a very special distinguished guest to the Rotary and Community Service Radio Show, Ian Risley. Ian is a Victorian, a member of the Rotary Club of Sandringham, and has had the great honour of being selected as the Rotary International President nominee. Ian, together with his wife, Juliet, will leave shortly for the United States to begin preparation for his International President's Year in 2017-2018. Ian, it's truly wonderful to have you here with us as you prepare to assume Rotary's highest office to become its 109th International President. Welcome. Governor Julie, thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you. I forgot to mention that Ian also is a supporter of the mighty Melbourne Football Club. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Now this evening we'll be having two interview segments with Ian. The first will be to get to know the man. And then in a second, a chat with Ian. um, And Ian has agreed to give us some insights into his aims and special areas of focus in his 2017-18 year as our Rotary International President. So I guess, first of all, Ian, uh, where were you born and um, was yours a large family growing up? I'm a Melbourneian born and bred, uh, Julie. I was living, our family was living in Essendon when I was born and we moved to West Essendon, which at the time was a series of paddocks and now is not. And so therefore, from day one, I've been around here. And not a bomber supporter, but we'll leave that for later, maybe. <laughs> and Ian, you went to school, obviously, in, in Essendon. And remember, you're talking to someone who for 59 years now has gotten up and gone to school. For you, what were those early years like? And what did you really enjoy most and, and probably the fond memories of school? I went to uh, Essendon Grammar School in uh, primaries and that was a wonderful school located immediately opposite uh, Windy Hill Mm -hmm. and uh, the principal, I remember Dr Shan, a great guy uh, who empathised with the primary school kids really well. That was a wonderful school. My sister, uh, and I forgot to mention you asked the question, I'm one of five, Mm -hmm. I'm the second of five. My elder sister went to Lowther Hall Church of England Girls Grammar School C-E-G-G-S, just down the road, mm-hmm. and she was head girl. In fact, she was head girl two years in a row, which takes some doing. She was, she's smart. Um, <laughs> she's um, a doctor, a psychiatrist, just retired. Mm-hmm. In fact, both of my sisters are doctors. The brains in the family definitely went to the females, and myself and my two brothers, we battled along. So uh, after uh, Essendon Grammar for secondary school, I went. we moved on the other side of town, and I went to Brighton Grammar for the first four years and then went to the since departed Hampton High School 
for years 11 and 12. I enjoyed school, sort of. I was a year young, which is a mistake, I think. I would never have my kids going one year younger than their peers. I think that's a huge mistake because I was too immature to... um, uh, It was all right in primaries. It wasn't fantastic in secondary. But I enjoyed school. Um, Geography was always one of my pet loves. I used to look at a map and dream, you know, that sort of thing, like, like I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, whereas uh, scientific issues probably weren't quite as uh, <laughs> close to the, the top of the tree. Well, like clearly you've had a wonderful education because look at where you are now and where you're heading towards. Uh, despite, some would say, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've heard a, um, a rumour that you weren't a bad tennis player at oh. some point in time, <laughs> so I'm wondering if sport has featured highly uh, in your development as a young person and adult. Uh, I was a hopeless tennis player, well hopeless is wrong, Um, a very average tennis player, but past history governor Greg Ross was a very good tennis player and we we were in the same uh, club. I I loved sport and still do, although um, at the age of 69 there's a limit to what you can do personally. I was um, okay at things that required reflex. I was actually a very good uh, fencer. Probably because not too many other people fence. I think I was. I actually retired undefeated, uh, but that was uh, a long time ago. I I used to enjoy football and cricket and just about everything that was going. Used to love swimming, uh, yeah, just about everything. I, I think sport is one of the things that brings our society both together and uh, on tribalism, if you like. I think that's uh, sport is really big in Australia. Love it part of our culture isn't it very much so and so then of course that's taken you on to do some tertiary study and your profession of, uh, of choice well after um, and I finished school in 1964 seems only yesterday but it was 1964 and in those days um, access to tertiary education was not like it was subsequently Um, there were some scholarships that were given out and I wasn't smart enough to get one so therefore if I wanted to go straight to university it would have cost money we were from a a very working class family notwithstanding the fact that father worked two jobs to enable my sister and I to go to private schools but uh, as a result I went straight into the workforce I worked for some accounting firms and studied part time that's an interesting way of doing things I can understand why People prefer to do it um, their tertiary education directly at a university, and that's the only thing they do, because frankly it's hard work, uh, working all day and then studying all night. But it worked in the end, and I was always feeling a little—I um, don't know whether inadequate's the right word—but uh, I wanted to get better tertiary education than I had. I just had a, an accounting qualification, so I did. Uh, three graduate diplomas and two master's degrees subsequently when I was establishing my business. So that assuaged my feelings of inadequacy at the time. Well, I'm wondering with all of this, how on earth you managed to meet and marry uh, clearly the love of your life, Juliet? A question I won't go into too much detail on, Julie, (laughs) because otherwise the reputation of carefully fostered over these last X number of years <laughs> will be, be dashed. But let's just say it was at a party. Uh, it was a party 
put on by the receptionist at the accounting firm where I worked, and it was in aid of a group that supported Prince Henry's Hospital. It was called the Prince Henry's Hospital Younger Set. And again, I didn't have any money, so you got a discount for coming dressed. And so I, it was a fancy dress thing. Well, they were all dressed, <laughs> but uh, coming uh, in fancy dress. So I did, and Juliet did not. And we met each other that night and uh, started going out the weekend after. There you are. Well, there you go. The rest is history, is. as they say. The rest is history. So tell us a little bit about, um, you, you know, your Rotary journey and when did you join Rotary and, and kind of what motivated you to, to get into Rotary? I joined in 1978 and I had spoken at the Rotary Club of Cheltenham in our district here. That was in about March of 1978. One of the members was a client of mine and he said, come along, we're desperate for a speaker. He didn't say that, but that's what he meant. <laughs> And so I said, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, oh, your, your vocation, income tax. So I spoke for about half an hour on the delightful subject of current developments in income tax, and they didn't go to sleep so much. And a few weeks later, uh, he rang and said, they're starting a new Rotary Club in Sandringham, right nearby. Um, would you like to join? And uh, my office was in Brighton at the time, so I thought, well, all of the all of the big wigs in business will be in the Rotary Club, so I'll go along to an interest meeting. And they were. Mm -hmm. They were absolutely all of the the people in business and there was a lot more industry in Sandringham at the time than there is now. So it was a wonderful thing to be involved in. So I joined up as a charter member in November nineteen seventy eight. Mm -hmm. And that's um very impressive. Thirty eight years of service. And um, and certainly, based on all you've told us about your initial upbringing, your commitment to um, education and improvement of yourself is very, very impressive. Um, how many members does Sandringham have um, at the moment? Oh, it's in the low 30s, I think. Um, all clubs go through their ups and downs. Uh, Julie, I think you'll agree. You've, you've seen a lot of it this year, I know. Um, and our club is on the up. There's no doubt about this. I mentioned this in our, our function on Sunday, mm -hmm. that um, leadership's really important in Rotary, and we've got an excellent uh, leadership group now at Sandringham. Our membership's growing. It's very young. It's much younger than the average Rotary club. We have a lot of fun. I was there on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. uh, they do things as well. They make contributions to their local community our Rotary Foundation, broader things. So they are the sort of club that I would want to join. And that's really pleasant for you, isn't it? And proud that you were able to say that in reference to your own um, home, as it were, in Rotary. So, you know, before becoming involved with um, Rotary's international headquarters in Chicago, um, what roles have you had both at your club and at your district level, 9810? I was uh, involved in Youth Exchange. I was involved, I was chairman of Youth Exchange, and what a great job that was. Uh, group Study Exchange, and then became governor in 1999 2000, and that was terrific fun too. Um, I'm telling you nothing, I know, but it was good fun. And uh, then had a couple of zone appointments from Rotary International. I worked with Brian Knowles, a wonderful past RI director and treasurer from Queensland, as one of the sergeants in the uh, convention in Brisbane in 2003, and then applied for the 
director role from 2006 to 2008 and was successful. So everything's taken off from there. In a big way, it sure has. So besides being recognised by Rotary, um, you have received recognition from our Australian government. Would you share some of that with our listeners for us? Uh, certainly, there's the OAM, which is uh, very pleasing, very gratifying, and that was before I became, or as I was about to become, uh, Director of Rotary International, so it, it reflected a bit of Rotary stuff, but in addition, I've been involved in uh, Sea Scouts locally, and also in uh, the schools, the uh, Hampton High School and St Leonard's College. I was involved in their parents' groups and their school councils for some little while, so uh, I guess it was a reflection of all, of all of those. In addition, I got the Peace Builder Award from the Government of Australia um, as it related to East Timor because of the great program that was started by a club in our district, uh, Doncaster, about the East Timor Roofing Company. I know it also has the Rotary Club of Melbourne strongly involved um, for some little while now. And uh, it's a great program, an absolutely wonderful project. Met lots of people, went up there to try and help a little bit, and uh, I was gratified to receive that as well. Now, Ian, you've had many important roles on your path in Rotary towards becoming uh, international president in 2017-18, and may I say we're very proud of that fact. What have these roles been at the international level? Well, thank you for the expression of pride, Julie. I'm pretty happy about it too. In 2006 to 2008, I was a member of the Board of Directors of Rotary International. We meet in Evanston uh, on the uh, 18th floor. There's 17 of us plus the President and the President-elect, and it's, um, it's an exciting time. And then the, in the second year, I was um, appointed Treasurer of Rotary International. So for, that was 17, 18, and that was good fun. I am an accountant, as you know, so therefore uh, you get a bit typecast in this business, and that was sort of how it happened, but I loved it. And then after one year off, I, uh, I went on to the, uh, the finance committee of Rotary International, and then was asked to be a trustee of the Rotary Foundation, which I was from July 11 to June 15, and then applied for the, uh, the big job. So there you go. And was successful. And I have to say that um, I've listened to many accountants talk, but I loved it when I heard you talk in your role in Rotary because you made it sound fun. You always sounded as if you were enjoying it, and I think the audience began to see that it was fun. Something that's really dear to my heart, and I think um, an overriding concern in Rotary, remains membership, both getting them and keeping them. Now, in your view, how can clubs um, close to home and around the world improve in both these areas? Well, we need to recognise the problem if we have one. Most clubs could handle more members. Many clubs urgently need more members. John Germ, for example, our about-to-be world president, is not well president, I make that mistake occasionally, he's the <laughs> president of Rotary International. Uh, he is a member of the Rotary Club of Chattanooga, mm. and they've got 350 members or something like that. That is not uncommon in the large cities in the US. In Australia, that's extremely unusual. 
and in fact I think our largest club in your district, the Rotary Club of Melbourne, uh, I think is 200 and something. So it's a little bit different. Uh, but for the normal suburban clubs, we need to recognise the fact that we need more members. One of the huge opportunities we have is with women, frankly. We don't have, we've got somewhere in the low 20s percent, both in Australia and internationally. There's a huge opportunity there for, for caring, sharing, uh, community-minded women to join. Yes, there is, and we really have to recognise that. And I'm delighted to know that uh, the vast majority of clubs actively seek those sort of uh, opportunities, which is great. Um, what else? Um, we need to tell our communities what we do. Uh, and again, this Rotary program, this radio program, is a great way of saying to the community, this is what Rotary does, and that's important. But we also need to have articles in the local papers. We need to uh, have um, articles and representation in broader media as well. So on even uh, broader-reaching radio stations than this one, we need to be involved and we need to make sure that uh, the, the world understands what Rotary does. And I think if that's the case, caring, community-minded people will want to join. Couldn't agree more. I do know there's an interesting statistic that's floating around about um, members leaving after, say, two years. And um, the trend seems to be it's because they're just not being engaged with, connected to in terms of why they wanted to be there in the first place. Um, that's a challenge for us, I think. I agree, and we have to make sure that we don't promise what we don't deliver. So we need to look at ourselves all the time. There are lots of opportunities. There's people who work from home, for example, and there's more and more of those, and there's recent retirees who have left the workforce and they have suddenly a void in their life, and they want to give back, so Rotary is a really good way of doing just that. Absolutely, and you're right. In the clubs that are growing and strengthening, that's what we're seeing, that diversity. So what do you see um, as those future activities where Rotary can contribute to make our organisation even more relevant in our world today? Well, we certainly need to modernise. We need to make sure that we are contemporary. Mm -hmm. And our recent Council on Legislation, which is where we change our Rotary rules every three years, adopted a lot of decisions that make it easier to be a Rotarian, and I think that's important. We also need to um, engage in partnerships. We have a wonderful relationship with the uh, World Health Organization, CDC, UNICEF on polio eradication and also our friends at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And so I think more and more of those will take place over a period of time. We have, I won't say we have the money, but we have potential resources as an organization. We have 1.2 million people around the world other people have needs, and some of them have money, like uh, Bill and Melinda Gates. Mm. So it's logical that we should work together, and I think we'll see more and more of that as the years go by. Mm. I have to say I was far more excited than I should have been when the um, information on the Council of Legislation came down. I really think this is a significant turning point um, in our organisation. So by now, you must be beginning to form clear ideas about what you want to prioritise um, in your special year. Um, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of that with us. Well, some of it will remain a pleasant surprise for our friends, the governors-elect, uh, when they come along to San Diego next January. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's fair to say that one of the things I want to do 
is determine the value of Rotary's output, and I know this sounds terribly accounting, but the value of our output, so we can say to the world, Rotary does this. In a, in a full year, this is the value of what we've done, both in dollars and in, in person hours, and I think that's important. Uh, I want to make sure that people enjoy themselves. There's a limit to what you can do just because it's the right thing to do. But if you enjoy what you're doing, then you'll keep on doing it, and I think that's important. In addition, I want to have our Rotary Board to be the recipient of suggestions from the Rotary world as to how we can do things better. So good ideas will come from the Rotary world, we'll talk about them, and we'll introduce them into, into policy if we believe that they're, that's appropriate. And I think that's really important too, because the Board should not be isolated from the Rotarians, and we've got to make sure that that happens. There'll also be a number of uh, presidential conferences in, in my year of presidency, and they'll focus on principally on, on peace, and there'll be one on environmental issues and that kind of thing. It sounds so exciting, uh, and I have to say, um, having attended Seoul, one of the most moving things, and this isn't a pun, but one of the most moving things I did was the Walk for Peace. I thought that was a wonderful initiative, and I know that you would have had some um, role in introducing that. So look, at the conclusion of your year... What would you like Rotarians around the world to say about the achievements of Ian Risley, Rotary International President? Well, before responding to that question, uh, Julie, in regard to the Walk for Peace, in Seoul, for our recent Rotary Convention, there was a three-kilometre Walk for Peace. I'd like to say that was my idea, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was the local host area committee Rotarians from Seoul, from Korea, in particular, a gentleman called Sanku Yoon, who said this is an opportunity with Rotary coming to Seoul for us to demonstrate how important peace is. And I agree entirely with that philosophy, and so therefore that's why it happened. And I, I think that's a terrific thing to do. So at the end of my year, what would I like to see? I'd like to think that people said, well, he gave it everything he had, he put all of his energy into it, and I th that's important to me. I hope we'll be relatively relaxed. I hope we'll be um, slightly less formal sometimes than, than we are and that we've enjoyed ourselves but also that people will say we've promoted peace in, in all of its forms uh, locally, internationally, including matters of the environment. I think that that emphasis will be well received by Rotarians and the people of the world. Well, I, um, I did, um, when I last saw you, just give you a little bit of feedback about your presence on the stage at Seoul. I thought you were very engaging. Um, you made us all, those thousands in the audience, feel connected to you, and um, I'm quite sure that um, you're going to achieve those goals in spades. Thank you, Julie. So, look, thank you for talking to us on um, the Rotary and Community um, Service Radio Show. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk with you and a great honour, and a truly great honour, to have an Australian selected as the international president in 2017-18. And I know that all Rotarians wish you and Juliet every success in that special year. Thank you, Governor Julie. It's been a great pleasure being with you, and I congratulate this group for taking the Rotary message out to the community. It's a great thing to do. So great to be with you. Thanks, Julie. Welcome to another podcast from the Rotary and Community Service radio show, which is now in its 10th year. 
Our show is heard every Friday between 6 and 8pm on community radio station 3WBC, 94.1 FM, which is also streamed live on the World Wide Web. Here is an interview conducted by Julie Mason, District 9800 Governor, with Ian Risley, who will become Rotary International President in 2017-18. 